You're listening to Tahlequah United Methodist Church's Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy listening to the podcast and connect with us online at TahlequahUMC.org. May you be blessed by the hearing and reading of Scripture and the meditation on the Word. Have a good day. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart give you the honor and the glory, Almighty God. Amen. So for the past three weeks, we've been studying this amazing chapter in the Bible on love. We saw that love is the standard by which God measures our lives. The first week, we looked at 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3, where Paul spoke about the authority of love. Nothing we say, nothing we have, Nothing we do has any value apart from love. Love is the true authority of all things. Then last week, we examined 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7, where Paul described the character of love. We talked about the, about the fact that if God measures our entire life according to the measure of our love, then we had better understand what love truly is. And so Paul described love for us and how we must practice this love daily. Now, as you all were coming in this morning, I had some slideshow showing um, because this week our sermon title is called Stability of Love. And those were some examples of stability of love. So today, let's look at 1 Corinthians Chapter 13, verses 8 through 13. Hear these words. Love never fails. As for prophecies, they will be brought to an end. As for tongues, they will stop. As for knowledge, it will be brought to an end. We know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, what is partial will be brought to an end. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, reason like a child, think like a child. But now that I have become a man, I've put an end to childish things. Now we see a reflection in a mirror. Then we will see face to face. Now I know partially, but then I will know completely in the same way that I have been completely known. Now faith, hope, and love remain these three things, and the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So in verses 8 through 10 of this scripture reading, Paul gives the Corinthians two excellent reasons why love is superior to spiritual gifts as a measure of life. The first reason is is that spiritual gifts are temporary, while love is permanent. Look at verse 8. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Here, Paul contrasts love, which never fails, with prophecy, tongues, and knowledge. Three specific spiritual gifts, which we all will all pass away. Paul has already spoken about these gifts in chapter 12. He mentions them in verse 13 of this chapter, and he will speak of them again in chapter 14. 
They are clearly, clearly important gifts. However, Paul explains to the Corinthians that all three of these gifts are only temporary while love lasts forever. I've thought about love that lasts forever, the stability of love. I ask myself, do I show stability in my love for all? The question I'm asking myself here and asking you all as well, is your love something that can be counted on day in and day out? When the chips are down and wherever you are working with, who you're working with, friends or just simple acquaintances, is your love what can be counted on? When I was asking myself this question, a friend of mine came to mind. Some of you may know him, and you may not recognize the name, but when I explain a little bit about him, you'll remember him. His name is Wayne Smallwood. And he was a man that uh, rode a bicycle all over town. And you could see him early in the morning, you could see him mid-afternoon, and you could see him at night, even close to dark time and around dark time. Sometimes he was just on his bicycle. Sometimes he was on a bicycle carrying a little cart behind him, a rolling cart that he would put his groceries in or his laundry in or whatever. And we became friends. He saw what I was doing at the Wesley Foundation, and we became friends. But he's also friends of some of you all in the congregation here. And he's also some friends of the Feed My Sheep community. And he's also friends with several of the college students at the Wesley Foundation. And so we became friends. And for about two years, he was there at the Wesley Foundation almost daily. Had my phone number, would call me, talk to me. I've took him Christmas dinner. I've took him Easter dinner. Never wanted to really come to my house, but he always just wanted to be around us when we were there. Summers, he always hung out there with Abigail and myself at the Wesley Foundation. He was always around. Then something happened last year. Uh, after COVID. I had checked on him when the breakout of COVID happened and we were still friends, but something happened and he quit coming. He quit seeing us. He quit stopping by. In fact, he wouldn't even make eye contact and he rode on the other side of the street when I would be outside. And it bothered me. It bothered my son a lot because he really, really liked Wayne and he would stop and talk to Wayne and Wayne would acknowledge him and talk to him, but go on his way. And one day, Miss Melanie Modine saw him outside of the Wesley and ran outside on a Wednesday afternoon and stopped him and asked him what was going on and how come he wasn't around and we'd miss seeing him. And this was um, last spring, early last spring, was it? it was last spring, yeah. And uh, so she came back inside, and I was standing with a group of college students. And she came back inside, and she says, I've been talking to Wayne outside. I said, you have? And she said, yeah. And she says, do you know why he's quit coming? And I said, no. I said, I, I, I said, he quit calling me. He's quit coming in to eat with us. He's quit talking to Abigail. He has nothing to do with us. I said, no. I said, why? She said, well, she says it's because you hang out with alcoholics and drug addicts and homeless people, and you hang out with a bunch of rotten college students. And for a split second, I put my head down because I was hurt. 
And then I looked up, and I had four or five in there staring at me at the time, college students. And I smiled real big, and I said, yes! I said, because that's exactly what was blamed on Jesus all the time, so I'm doing right. And Melanie goes, that's right, sister, that's right. And the college students smiled and went back to doing their business. So five or six months ago, out of the clear blue, my phone rings, and I look at it, and it's Wayne's phone number. And Wayne has called me. I pick up the phone, and I said, Wayne, what's wrong? He said, nothing, nothing. What are you doing? I said, nothing. I'm just here at the Wesley. I said, it's so good to hear from you. Well, it's good to hear you, too. I need help. I said, what do you need? He said, well, I need, I need help with my laundry. He says, the laundromat that I go to is closed, and it isn't no more, and I need help with my laundry. I said, well, Wayne, I'll come get it, and I'll just go do it. And then I'll bring it back to you. No, no, I want to do my laundry myself, but I want to go to your house to do it. I said, well, okay, Wayne. I said, Mama Taylor, there's a lot of people at my house. And he said, that's all right. I want to go. So I guess it's been about six months. Um, I would pick up Wayne, and I would take Wayne every two weeks to my house, and we would do his laundry. And then I would take Wayne back to his house with his two laundry baskets, and away he'd go. He started coming around and was in and out of the Wesley, grabbed a pop, would sit and talk to us, very excited about Abigail's baby, very excited about just being a part of us. We didn't mention the nine, ten months that he was away from us. We didn't discuss it. We just picked up where we left off. July the 5th was his birthday, and I called him, and I'd sang happy birthday to him, and he was very quiet, and he said, thank you. I said, it's about time to do your laundry again. He said, yeah, I know. He said, I'll call you in a couple of days. He said, so we can, so you can pick me up. I said, okay. Well, on July the 8th, Wayne had a heart attack and passed away. Thank God for Rosalind calling me. I'd called that, so his cell phone number several times, and there was no answer, and Rosalind Warren had called me and had told me about it. As soon as I could get back in town from Tulsa, I did some investigation and out all the details about it. I love the thought that when the chips were down, the need, he knew where he could count on, and he knew who would love him. That made me proud. If we take this passage in its full context, in relationship to all that Paul has said here, and in the surrounding passages, it is clear that the word perfect refers to love. The word perfect refers to love. Love is that perfect thing which, as it grows in our life, replaces our need for and concern with the gifts of the Spirit. We find ourselves growing up into that to which the gifts are designed to lead us. So when the end begins to be accomplished, the means to the end are no longer as fully required. This is what Paul is saying, and is confirmed by the illustration he uses in verse 11, where he says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, children are supposed to act like children. Everybody expects them to, and it would be silly and a shame if they did not act like children. 
Paul says he did what he did when he was a child, but he says, when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Why? Well, because he had become a man. As the end toward which a child always moves into maturity. And therefore, these things were no longer needed. Now, what Paul, I believe, is saying to these Corinthians and, and to us today is that the mark of maturity is the ability to love. To love the unlovely, to love the selfish, to love the distasteful, to love the ungrateful. Change your attitude and your actions toward keep on working fully for the best interest. For their best interest. That's agape love. As the ability to do that increase in our life, it will replace all our childish concerns about the gift of the Spirit. To make much ado about gifts as though they were the important thing that God wants to emphasize is to be childish in our attitudes. Spiritual gifts are important. Line of Have you ever watched children playing on Christmas morning? They'd open their gifts. Their minds are focused on all these new toys. There are so many of them. They cannot take them all in. They are so excited about them. They always seem to want that, that somebody else has. They want something that somebody else has. One for, toy for a few moments, cast it aside and get another one until their brother or sister grabs the one they had just discarded. And of course, then it's back at it to grab it back. Then, it's, you know, then it seems to assume great importance in their eyes. I remember sitting at Christmas dinner one day, and my daughter, Jaylen, Christmas afternoon, and we're sitting at lunch, and my daughter sat down, and she says, I have an announcement to make. And we all stop, and we look at her, and she says, I got everything that I wanted for Christmas. And I look over and I says, really? I said, well, that's, that's great. That's great. And my husband said, well, then we can skip your birthday that's in 30 days. <laughs> and she said, no, just give me time. Just give me time. There's children wanting what they want. Pretty, pretty soon there's a squabble going on over gifts. When my daughter was three or four years old, she had a shirt that said, she wore it a lot, that said, uh, what's mine is mine and what's yours is mine. And it fits that age group a lot. To make so much over gifts as though they were the important thing is to miss the whole thrust of the passage on gifts. You're missing the point. Gifts are designed to lead you to love. That is the whole point of it. Gifts are good, but they will change, and some will even pass away. What we ought to be writing books about and issuing magazines over and broadcasting over the Internet, the television, and the radio today is the ability to love, to reach out to the hurtful, and to minister to them. There was a 60s British rock star, Cliff Richard, who once called the bad boy of pop, and was too sexy for television, became a devout believer and disciple of Jesus. 
Back in the 70s, he visited missionary outposts in the Sudan and refugee camps in Bangladesh as part of a mission trip for the Tear Fund that he was promoting. In his book about his conversion to Christianity called Which One's Cliff, he tells of the first morning of visiting the refugee camps. I must have washed my hands a dozen times. Whenever we stopped, I made, a, I made a beeline for the communal tap or the well. I didn't want to touch anything, least of all people. Every one, to those, every one in those camps, even the babies, was covered in sores and scabs. I was bending down to one little mite, mainly for the photographer's benefit, and trying hard not to have too close a contact with him when someone accidentally stood on the child's fingers. He screamed out, and as a reflex, I grabbed hold of him, forgetting all about his dirt and his sores. I remember now that warm little body clinging to me, and the crying instantly stopped. In that moment, I knew I had an enormous amount to learn about practical Christian loving, but at least... I had started somewhere. And not many of us stars traveling to mission outposts. Marsha Bishop's experience is a little closer to our experiences. She writes, When my children were still preschoolers, I drove a route regularly for Meals on Wheels, primarily in a housing project in Dallas. One day the sitter didn't show, so I had to take them with me. I scooped up several old magazines for the elderly people on their route, and off we went. At first, the boys were a little hesitant, but after several stops, they were enjoying themselves immensely. There was one older woman on the route, though, who was always a real pain in the neck. She had broken her hip, and the experience had apparently soured her toward everything and everyone. If there was nothing to complain about that day, she'd bark out, just put the meal in the refrigerator, I'll get it later. I tried to talk with her once or twice, but she was so rude, it was hard to be nice to her. Garnet, who was five, picked up a couple of magazines. I'll bet she really liked these magazines. Fat chance, I thought. Then Andrew, who was only two and a half, wanted something to carry. I handed him the milk, but not satisfied, he stopped and picked up a couple of dandelions. I knocked on the door, the cranky voice, you're late today. Come on in, it's unlocked. I opened the door, and the boys pushed past me and ran to the woman. We bought you some neat magazines, see? Garnet fairly shouted. I brought something, too, chirped Andrew, practically falling into her lap with his two bedraggled dandelions. I put the meal in the refrigerator. I apologized for their rambunctious behavior as we were leaving. Garnet romped down the stairs, and I turned to take Andrew's hand. Bye-bye, he said, waving. I glanced back at the woman, and she had pulled herself up, clutching the two dandelions in the hand that held on to her walker and was waving with the other hand. The bitter expression on her face had melted into a smile that brightened the tears that were rolling down her cheeks. You see, as Christians, 
They are not those rare generous geniuses of extraordinary spirituality who are sent to do extraordinary work. They are very, very ordinary people who are sent to do ordinary things with extraordinary grace and love. Whether it is a rock musician holding a dirty, sore-covered child refugee who is crying, or a young mother taking a meal to the home of a bitter old woman, or you, or you, as you go to work, or to school, or to your family or friends tomorrow. It's touching the untouchable. It's bringing sweetness to the bitter. It's loving the unlovable. And being the stability of love that we are all called to be. Carry that with you in your heart this week. How are you going to be that stability of love for someone? Amen. Thank you for listening to Tahlequah United Methodist Church's sermon podcast. We hope you have a good week, and we ask that you connect with us online at tahlequahumc.org. Thank you, and have a good day.